0: Sweetness, the life and times of Walter Payton.
1: Welcome into the Savoring Sweetness podcast. Jared Payton sitting alongside the producer of the amazing special that was aired on WGN TV, my man Rick Tarsitano Tano.
2: Tano, Tano. I mean, it kind of switches in my own head. My kids say it both ways.
1: I just, I I always feel like I'm messing it up. And then I thought about it on air and I was like, I think I messed up my, one of my best friends' names. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Can I, can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, what's your takeaway of the response that we've been getting over the savoring sweetness special.
2: I think a lot more people have been talking to you about it. Nobody like sees me on the streets like,
1: man, I saw it. Okay, but here inside the WGN studios, I mean, people... Yeah,
2: it's, it's nice to have people that don't really seem to care a lot about sports on a regular basis care. Uh, seeing texts from friends of friends was cool, because that made me realize that people that didn't get a text from my wife to watch it actually watched it, and it you know a random bears fan here or there saw it watched it and wrote in and normally we get emails about what we they don't like but to get emails about them genuinely liking it you know i'm reading through it waiting for the part where like a butt or this was wrong or everything was good and i think
1: it i think um exceeded even my expectations uh, from the beginning cuz uh, you had the vision i don't know If I had the vision like the first two months, uh, to be honest, I mean I knew it, but I didn't have like this feeling that it, like how it morphed into something that you just knew we
2: were going to be talking to cool people. Yeah, you didn't didn't see how it was all going to be connected. Yeah,
1: I didn't see how it was all going to be connected. And I have to tell you, phenomenal. Like you did an amazing job. Um, I know my part and what I did, but you like putting it together and putting the puzzle pieces together. I think that's what. You did it. It was perfect. I mean, it was literally perfect. And thank you to my dad who's up there because he he made us have to work for this one. And then we know you and I know why. He made us have to work from this one, and it came out perfectly. And I'm glad we went the way that we went.
2: Yeah, not to get sappy or sentimental, but to hear his last part, which is my favorite part, where he talks about not caring about the records or not caring about all the accolades, but just knowing that you tried your best. That's what I thought of. With the three to four hours leading up to the special, with me still like tinkering away, trying to, trying to make all the the levels work and and make sure that there was there was no glitches here or there. I, it's it was such a huge not burden, but I wanted to do right by you guys, and I think hugging your mom afterward was probably the the, the first time I could really exhale.
1: Well, that was the funny part because we were at O'Donovan's watching. The special with a bunch of people. Shout Thank out you to O'Donovan's and everybody that came out to sit and watch the special with me live. They just What was the room like? The room was if for a place where there was people that were sitting inside of the area that we were in in O'Donovan's and they weren't even there to watch the special. They just like sat down to eat. And then by that, like by the time that it was on air, they started figuring out like, whoa, wait a minute. That guy right there talking (laughs) is the guy that's on that TV screen. Yeah. And then they started to piece it together. And I had two ladies come up to me and said, we did not come out tonight to watch the special, but we were blown away and we're glad that we did. Everything happens for a reason. I said, thank you for being here to get a standing ovation from all the people in the room. Yeah, that, that was, was so that was pretty that great. was that was pretty special. So I mean, it's doing great things. It brought back a lot of memories to a lot of Bears fans and a lot of people who care deeply about my dad. And then I think it was pretty much the best setup for thursday night even though the outcome wasn't what we all expected but it was almost the perfect setup to the bears kicking off their 100th season the nfl kicking off their 100th season and the packers and bears rivalry
2: right and i just to touch on the all the people that were at the watch party hearing from your mom's friends and from your dad's friends that they liked that because they said like we've seen highlights of them a thousand times and i I wish i really wish i could have put in at least one uh but To to have it focus on everything else I think was really cool uh, to kind of go through chronologically him coming into the league, coming into Chicago, being a huge part of Chicago and just how much of a lasting impact he still has to this day.
1: Yeah, a lot of the people that were at O'Donovan's were people who they know my family very, very well and have been around in um, the good times, the bad times. They've been there. And so for them to truly love it, I mean, the text messages I got by the time that I got home, it was, I was blown away. I was literally blown away. And that's what it's all about, man. When you have something special, man, I started to know it was special, like around after, I think it was after the Barry Sanders interview where I was like, man, this
2: I I don't think I've ever heard him laugh before. Yeah, that was the part that I. It's that got me. it's
1: rare, and I've been around. I've seen him laugh. I've been around him in those type of situations, but most people out there have never seen him laugh or smile or. And we got him to do that, and for that to happen, and, and
2: it's not even that you got him to do it. Obviously, he's in a comfortable setting, but just to for he's the epitome of people thinking back about your dad and then like instantly smiling. Yeah. And that kind of leads into what I wanted to do before we go into our next podcast. It it talk about the people that sent in pictures. You are the reason that I think this was able to connect to so many people by sending in your pictures and not only the pictures, I don't think you even prompted them really with to go in depth about their stories, but the stories that went along with it, it, it's amazing how much? Because you know how much time you know your dad spent playing football and, and being out there. But to see all of the hours that were sopped up with him making these connections to people is just really, really special. Um, just to read one or two of them. Uh, there was one from Kevin Larson. Um, his uh, subject was Goat Number Thirty Four Sweetness, which we got a lot of with those. He was. Uh, <laughs> He wrote in about a special time at Christmas. As a loss prevention manager, at Marshall Fields at Fox Valley Mall. During Christmas time, we had a giving tree in our store that was for selecting a name to buy a toy for a child and was part of the WCP Foundation. Due to this foundation drive, your father came out to our store on a Sunday afternoon to light the Christmas tree. He was not supposed to be at the store for a long time, and there was no scheduled meet and greet. I met met him on the loading dock as he pulled in his Porsche to the underground dock. Introduced myself and told him that I would be his security protection for his visit. He smiled and chuckled as he shook my hand. Like, I don't need a security guard. (laughs) Uh, I escorted him to the executive office conference room, which we were going to use as his green room as we entered. He saw a couple of those gym shoes lying on the floor. He asked me what they were doing there. I explained that they belonged to the teenagers that were up at the Christmas tree dressed in elf costumes. He immediately picked up the shoes and tied them together in a knot and took a black marker and signed the shoes. Following the tree ceremony, he was scheduled to leave, but he asked my, myself and the store manager, who were the majority of individuals that were removing the bags from the tree and purchasing for the kids. We explained to him that our store employees had been removing most of the tags. Just like that, he wanted to walk around the store and meet and greet our employees that were working. Not quite sure it was to the delight of the PR lady, but we did it anyway. It took us about 60 minutes, but we walked Department by department, up and down escalators between the three floors of our store, just like my time meeting him at Poplar Creek, he continued to to be fun and playful, pinching my butt as we rode up the escalator and embracing me in a headlock. When we were finished, he stated that he needed to purchase some Christmas gifts for Jarrett, and I asked if I would if asked if I would walk with him to various department stores and give my opinion on his selections. I believe that time you were attending the U. We walked through Polo Ralph Lauren department stores and other men's areas. I remember he grabbed a leather jacket and asked me if I thought you would like it as a college kid. I told him that you would. He also purchased some sweaters for you before leaving the store. I mean, it's so crazy. meets a guy, goes on a two to three hour adventure with him, just treating him like he was his best friend the whole time. I think that's just a testament to the kind of dude he was.
1: It's just so crazy to think about so many people having that connection with him. And I think that's what made... The special is so, so meaningful for us. I think also for the people out there is because they had that connection. My dad did take that time to get to know somebody. and But three hours? <laughs> three hours? Yeah. Like, he, that's... He like, wasn't even what? supposed to be there. Like, he was that's, supposed to just go in and out. That's... That's crazy. I don't think I ever saw that leather jacket though. So
2: your mom said that you had a leather jacket.
1: I did, but it was a. That was the one she bought for me. She took me down. Down. Oh, that the was south.
2: when she was. That was when you were younger. That was my younger. Was that, that was before you picked the. U. That was before I picked the U. Can US we talk about one. that decision real quick? Because because <laughs> your mom did not seem to like you picking. No, the
1: U. she did not like the whole going to Miami thing at first. She didn't like it. She thought it was too far. Um, she thought I didn't fit in and. I don't know. I think the biggest thing was that was too far. And, you know, my, like she said in the session, like my dad just had to tell her, like, just chill. Connie, relax, because this is the decision that he made. We just got to be there. We got to be there to support him. And by the end of it, she never really talks about it. I mean, it was the best place for me. And I learned so much. But, yeah. And she did not mind leaving the in the wintertime, to come to Miami to no. see a game when it was warm and like 70 degrees. Like you
2: said, what would you rather do? He said, I'd rather go to Miami. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but playing off, well, I'm going to try to read at least one uh, submission every time we do something like this just because there were so many. And I want people to know that it, it mattered to me. And I'm sure it mattered to you to read all of those. Um, but tying in the whole meeting somebody, making them feel like they're special, the the story that I couldn't because it involves so much context insert into that special was the story of Kevin Kelly, yeah, uh, who we had a chance to talk to uh, a little while ago, and just it's absolutely insane to me to when I think about what that would be like today, yeah, to have a person that is the biggest superstar in the world, you know, right on the eve of all this Antonio Brown stuff and and just how. Crazy, uh, the whole sports world is, and how interactions with sports stars is is very limited, um, with few exceptions. You know, like what Anthony Rizzo does with with the with Lurries and stuff like that. That's a whole other level. But just to, to do it with everyday people, this story I thought deserved a long time to tell because it's going from a college kid seeing his his idol and becoming. What would you describe him as?
1: Um, a good friend, and my high school football coach, who then becomes my good friend. Insane. So, like, it's just the circle of life. Like, it's it does it doesn't make sense when you like put it all together. Because yeah, I, pitched- I didn't even I didn't even play football until high school, and he becomes my that's the coach at my high school and then I decide to switch over to football and it was not because of him I just did that and it just all happened to be yeah this one of my this dad's guy is friends. is
2: living proof that everything happens for a reason oh
1: it is and I think the stories um that's what that's what's going to grab people just to hear some of the things about my dad and how he worked out worked out it's not putting <laughs> okay shredded his body well yeah how he <laughs> he committed to being great man and it it took a lot i mean people see what they saw on sundays and they see it in the videos kevin got to see it behind the scenes and him getting ready for those moments yeah. which are i wish we had video oh, i'm so upset right now of,
2: of what they did together. yeah because if
1: i was if i if it was now let's just say he started playing and my dad was playing and like Two thousand and nine, dude. I would have been there now and oh, being older, sure. just videotaping. Yeah,
2: or you, this would have been like Insta stories nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Insta
1: stories. Come <laughs> on, man. All
2: right. So, without further ado, the story of Kevin Kelly.
0: There was a, you know, twenty-four hour health club called the Charlie Club, right off of uh, fifty-three. I had a membership there. I, I would go there uh, late at night to train. And, and I met him there on a Friday night at midnight. And when I walked in the weight room, he was the only guy there, and I knew who he was, obviously. I mean, he was every young guy's hero that loved football and the Bears, and I loved both of those things. And so, um, I mean, it was just um, inspiring to be in the room with the man.
2: Had you seen him there before? Or, were, like, what was no, your reaction no. when you saw him working out?
0: Oh, it was just um, – I was starstruck. I was, it was just so inspiring to me. You know, I figured he was there to be left alone that hour of the night on a Friday night to train. And um, it was just awesome to be in the room, you know, trying to get a workout in in his presence, really. I mean, it just was very motivating for me. And then after, you know, I don't know, uh, 20 minutes or something, he came over to me and I thought I was bothering him. So I started gathering my stuff up, (laughs) you know, he, he was like. You know, where, where are you going? And I said, Hey, I'm, I must be bothering you. i get out of here go do something else. And he said, no, I, I came over here to see if I could work out with you. I mean, I literally was speechless. That's when he introduced himself. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'm Walter Payton. Like I didn't know. We, we worked out for like three hours afterwards. He said, you ever want to do this again? Here's my phone number. Walter had one of those Motorola cell phones, those real big ones, you know, first generation cell phones. And, um, I, I didn't ask him for his autograph or anything, you know, so I'm like, no one, no one of my buddies are going to believe me. And so even when he did that, he, he printed his name and gave me his cell phone number. And, and you know, I told him, I said, hey, look, I, you met the right guy tonight, and I'm calling you tomorrow. <laughs> and he didn't think I would. He said, no, you'll be too sore. You won't show up like everybody else. And, and you know, we, we certainly weren't connected by talent. Uh, we were connected by, you know, passion for the game and really sort of an obsession with uh, training and you know I just wasn't gonna quit on him and he figured that out looking back probably pretty quickly and I mean I was the benefactor of that you know I mean I owe the man um, a lot certainly my college career I do and you know I'm still working in football today Uh, you know, 30 years later, whatever it is. So um, I owe him and his family a lot for
1: that. Well, I know one thing, Kevin. Uh, Man, my dad did not work out with a lot of people. And a lot of people couldn't keep up with him and what he did. And I know you guys met at the Charlie Club, but you have to tell people the stories because you were one of the few, not just to work out with my dad at the Hill, but to do it on a consistent basis. I, I just want you to talk about those workouts and how grueling they were, how my dad attacked those, and how did some people that would talk trash think that they would come out there and run that hill, and what would happen to them?
0: Yeah, it was it was awesome, Jared. It wasn't a hill, it was a mountain. You know, it was a just an awful landfill area, close to the Charlie Club, actually you know, that is now that Nickel Knoll golf facility, and uh, so, I I mean, we worked out for, um, I mean, a few weeks before he let me go there or showed it to me, I kept asking him about it, and he just kept saying, you know, you're not ready, you're not ready, can't hang, you're not ready, and I mean, by the time he, I I went with him, I was terrified, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I just heard so much, and he had done so much to build it up, and and so it really, it just, it wasn't a pleasant place. I mean, it was just a, it was a big landfill area, and the hill was actually right in the middle of the landfill, so it was kind of the highest of all the hills. And, and on one side, it's where the trucks had driven up, so it was a real shallow grade. And then on the steep side, it was about 45 degrees. You know, I look back, and even then... This is the way I describe it now, 30 years later, when I think back to it. It was certainly an old school mentality of hard, harder, melt toughness. Okay, training was going to be harder than games or practice or anything, um, and he was trying to get his body and his mind right for that. And it was an obsession. Okay, but he used he did, he had an old school mentality to do the way he worked. But it wasn't even a new school method. It was a future school method. Okay. So this man, I mean, he did things training wise that are invoked today. All right. I mean, sports specific functional training, acceleration training, explosiveness training. I mean, he was doing that before he met me, before I met him, you know, back in the seventies and stuff. And certainly younger than that when he was in College of Jackson State down in Mississippi running the backs of, banks of the Red River. So the hill, we would run the steep side, and, you know, you, you I mean, it was hard, hard dirt. So you could not get up it unless you had football cleats on. And so, you know, Walter would get there, put his cleats on, spat them up, taped them to his ankles, spend, you know uh, – five ten minutes of the car just getting his mind right and then we would make we jump over this fence and then make this trek to the actual hill and uh, I remember the first time doing it I mean I can remember it where we were jogging up the shallow side and I was he was on one side of this trail and I was on the other and I was thinking to myself okay this isn't that bad like I can do it okay and because I thought that was the that was the steep side. And so little did I know when he came to the crest of the hill and then he just disappeared down a cliff. It looked like a cliff to me. <laughs> I just, I, I, I mean, I just panicked. I didn't know where he went, you know. And so he went right to the bottom, and I just stood there. You know, he's yelling for me, and I finally, and when you went down, it was so steep, you had to go down kind of like a, you know, I describe it like when you're, when you're skiing on water, when you, if you're going to fall, you got to kind of fall back on your butt. Because if you fell forward at the hill, you got hurt. I and mean, you didn't get hurt just from the fall. I mean, you got hurt from glass and sharp metal and just bad stuff that was there. Okay, so, you know, you had to know how to fall back on your butt if you were going to fall. And I fell a few times, okay. so uh, But when I got to the bottom, you know, he shot right back up. And it was just grueling. I mean, you know, you would only run this thing. 10 times or something, even when we were in, I was in the best shape of my life. And um, it was hard, it was just, you can, I just can't describe how hard it was. It was, um, you know, probably 70 yards from one end to the other, 45 degrees. There were a few trails. I mean, your legs would just um, quiver. You know, you would. we would stay at the top of the hill when we were done. Uh, because we couldn't get back to the car right away. Usually it was me. You know, I, I, I just couldn't get back to the car. So
2: How far away did you have to
0: park? It was kind of a hike, a few hundred yards it seemed like. But, but, like, if you go there today, it may not look like that bad of a walk or something, but that's not what the hill looked like.
2: How long had you known him when you first went to the hill?
0: Uh, I had known him for a couple of months.
2: And he just, you go out to the middle of seemingly nowhere to a dump, and what what are you thinking?
0: Yeah, yeah. well, when he pulled up, he he would drive to the back of this neighborhood. I used to ask him, even over the years, you know, how did you find this? And he he would say, oh, I saw it from this road, or I saw it from that road, but I'm like, Walter, you you can't see the hill from those roads. I mean, I checked, you know. (laughs) I mean, so it's just amazing to me how the man found it, and... You know, especially the one that we ran. So you would park at the back of this, the back of this uh, neighborhood. There was like an empty lot right next to the fence. Over the years of running, he got to know the guys that worked there, and so, you know, we had another way in this gate that instead of just hopping this fence, <laughs> the first time we that we did. I just remember not being real sure about all that, Rick. I mean, I, I. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> it was. It was like what I got myself into, and I was just like, I can't, I can't quit, and, you know, I just got to make sure, you know, he doesn't leave me here or something. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I back then, I mean, I I loved the Peyton family. I certainly loved the great Walter I, but, I mean, I didn't know him real well, you know, and, uh, and so, I mean, and it was hot and awful, and I, and I'll tell you this, over the years, I complained one time to him at about the hill, and we were there, and it was, you know, just July and it was just awful. I mean, you know, it was just hot like Chicago summers are hot and humid and we're in this just awful place and it smelled and, you know, I was hurting and I got a cut or something and, and I complained to him. I, you know, I just kind of vented. I was like, listen, I mean, can't we, this place just sucks. I mean, can't we just. Work out somewhere else that doesn't smell and this shit, I'm getting cut. He walked over to me and gave me that stare that he's given Jared, I'm sure. And uh, he said, look, I'm not trying to make this easier. I'm trying to make it harder. If I could turn up the heat, I'd turn it up. If I could make this smellier, I'd make it smellier. If I could make this hill bigger, I would. So shut up. And, you know, I just, shut up, I mean... <laughs> Now, that's the only time I ever complained about it, you know, and, and so he, and would he, you know, he would go there and, I mean, he would rip his gear and get all that nice kangaroo stuff on all the time and bear stuff and his chain, his watch, and he didn't, you know, he trained like he was a rookie. I mean, to his last year with the Bears in 87 was just coincided with the end of, of my college career at Indiana in 87. So that last summer, you know, I I knew I had no visions of playing in the national football league. I knew my career was over and he was retiring. And so, but he trained that summer. Like he did the first one. I met him. It was never any different. I mean, he was, it was such an obsession for him about being in the best shape in the team and the league of his life that you know, I mean, the workouts as, as, as uh, Platteville training camp for the Bears got closer, you know, the workouts would get more frequent. I mean, it, they would always end at the hill. I mean, I told you he was very ahead of his time. You know, he knew, uh, there were two other things that come to my mind. He knew a farmer wasn't too far away and had bales of hay that were about four or five feet high, rolled up, you know, every 20 yards as, as straight as the eye and as long as the eye could see. We would go there, and, you know, I'd get in front of one row, and he'd get in front of the other, and we would run. And when he first introduced me to it, he's like, when you get to the bail, just get over it somehow. He's like, I'm going to try to hurdle it or get my front cleat on the top and get over it. He's like, just do what you got to do and try to keep up, which was always impossible. And so I, I, I was getting over, I don't know, the first half a mile or something. And uh, then I just started going around him because I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. And, I mean, I'd look over and, I mean, you can't make it up. He would be getting – he'd be hurtling them and then his front foot and then he would get to those things and he would dive over like he was at the goal line. And he would roll over on his shoulders, on the back of his shoulders. I mean, the guy had that craft perfected where he wouldn't injure himself. And so when I'd see him do it for the Bears, you know, in a game and people would ask me about it, I'm like, I've seen that guy do that with no pads on. (laughs) Right. With no problem. On rock hard ground. Right, okay, and, and then there was the other thing, there was a forest preserve when they moved to South Barrington, the Paytons. From one end to the other, it was like 75 yards or so, and uh, there were these pine trees, and they were interspaced, and, you know, so we pulled up to that one time, and I was just like, what are we doing, okay? And he's like, hey, take your cleats up and just follow me. You know, he would run through the forest, dodging the trees like they were tacklers. And full speed, and I was behind him the first time, and I just remember all these branches flying and stuff. And then over the years, when doing that, you know, I, I, I see, I remember that there were two times where he hit a tree, full speed, just ran into a tree, and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I was like, holy cow, you know, is he, hurt? is Walter hurt? And you know, I get up on him, and he'd be getting up and brushing himself off and just take off. So the other thing about the hill to describe to people that, you know, kids that train or athletes, players, because I go around in my current job at college campuses and football programs and see these strength coaches that build hills and things, and he was so far ahead of his time because the, the steep side is the side that he used for explosiveness and strength, okay, and then the shallow side, we would run down that for acceleration training, you know, the length of your stride and get faster. Okay, and so, you know, I don't know how Walter ever figured all that out, but he sure figured it out. You know, he said to me, you know, if you ever want to do something that, you know, you get tested for at school or whatnot, you know, we can do it as long as you can prove to me that it helps me be a better player on the field. And so, you know, back then, you know, everybody was, it was like bench press, you know, power clean, squat, and you know, run gassers and hundreds and 40s and things like that. And I remember, I remember asking Walter about the bench press, and he said, yeah, I don't understand how that's going to make me a better player lying on a bench pushing weight off my chest. He said, you know, that might help me when they're all tackled me It's just getting them off me or something. But, you know, football is played on my feet, so i got to do stuff on my feet. And, you know, he made me, you know, just stop and realize you know, he was right. I mean, it was all functional training, you know, so, and I remember that it was, you know, it was just it was just such great, once I got closer to him and got used to it and got in better shape, so I wasn't dragging the man down, I, I you know, I, I just loved how it was different every day, okay, I mean, and, and um, even days when we'd go to the hill, I remember one time, the people that would um, tailor his suits, he had to make them a weight belt, that, he, that literally they used one of his leather belts, and then he had these weights that they used to put in those old ankle weights back in the 70s and 80s. You know? And he would take those weights out of there, and he, and he had this lady make them so they, they went around his thighs. And, so, and then he had some Velcro or something. And I remember he got out of the car one day, and he pulled that out, and I was like, what is that thing? And he strapped it on. It took him a few couple minutes, you know, and he just weighed around his thighs. And, uh, you know, we jogged to the hill, and he did a rep, and we got to the top, and he unbuckled it, and he handed it to me, and he's like, it's your turn, let's go, you know. And He just had a a different way of doing things. You know, I think he was just keeping his mind uh, challenged and his body off balance the whole time. But, I mean, I look back now, 30 years, and it's, it's amazing to me when I see things, even at the highest level of pro sports and training nowadays.
2: Walter Payton was doing it back in the late 70s. Well, and, and not to I know that we're we're going to where you're at the hill with them, and we started with you're working out late at night but that that's a big jump there from from not knowing the guy at all being in awe of him to it being was, trusted yeah. to, to go work out I mean, with him.
1: And, and it speaks volumes to who Kevin was and, and Kevin probably you can speak on this is my dad didn't let a lot of people into, you know, his life, and let alone his his training. I mean, that was sacred for him. And so to see the relationship that Kevin and my dad built over that and the friendship that came even after football was uh, pretty amazing because, you, you guys, it coincided with you ending college and then him, you know, le- leaving out of the league. And then it was like then your friendship kind of blossomed from there. And that, that's... He went from a kid not knowing him, I mean, knowing who he was, to then becoming one of his best friends. And to me, it's just over that time period, everything that you guys went through and what you saw. So what I want to ask you, <laughs> you saw my dad in those times of getting ready to play. And during the season, as I'm finding out more about him, Kevin, I hear more and more about how injured he was most of the time. I don't know, hurt. I mean, people always played hurt. Uh, but how were you amazed at his ability to be mind over matter and push that pain down to be able to, to play? I mean, missing one game his rookie year and then playing 12 years after that, he showed up every single day. I mean, you saw him on those, on those Mondays and Tuesdays after, after a game. I, I, from what I hear, no one messed with him. He just would, like, lay down in a room with no shades and just sit there and relax just to get his mind right.
0: There's no doubt, Jared. Listen, um, I've never been around anybody like him since, and I've been scouting in the National Football League for 14, for 20 years. had a playing career and admire all the great players in the NFL currently. In the past, pro athletes in any sport, he's the toughest, mentally the toughest, emotionally the toughest, physically the toughest, and it's not really close. So, I mean, I remember... You know, when he had both of his knees scoped, I want to, you know, at, at the, I, he called it his 10,000 yard checkup, and, you know, I mean, he was barely off crutches, and I had gotten home from school, and I remember your mom, Connie, your mom, Connie said to me, you know, I'm glad to see you. You got to get him out of here, and, you know, I didn't think there was any way the guy could run the hill, and and we would go there, and I, I remember that. I mean for a month I would look over at him and he'd be he'd be rubbing on his knees and you know uh, you know I'd ask him what are you doing he's like I'm trying to get some blood in there or something and you know and and I used to think to myself if if this guy's going to lay it on the line even after he had done everything for the in the NFL and the Bears you know I could lay it on the line with him you know and just I mean I just was behind him I I, I don't know. Look, I'll never know the, the connection. I mean, you know, I'm a, I was a 20-year-old guy that grew up in Barrington, Illinois, and he's, you know, 10 years older than me and grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, and I mean, we couldn't have been more opposite, but we certainly were connected, there's no doubt.
2: That, that night, though, just going back to the first night, how sure. does how does that relationship blossom into that? I mean, do, do you call him the next day and you're surprised to hear him pick up? and.
0: Can you yeah, just talk about that, yeah. like how that built? Oh yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's exactly basically how it happened. I, I called him and and uh, you know he said hello and and you know I I said hey Walter it's Kevin you know last night remember we were workout you know I started going to like and he's like yeah 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 I know you coming you know that kind of thing. I specifically remember the the, the next day I, I I went over to their house and so Walter introduced me to Connie and she looked at me. And she said, are you the one who won the workout with Walter? And I just looked at her like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, okay? And Walter goes, no, no, that's something else, Connie. Because I guess they had, they had, I don't know if it was an auction or what it was for somebody to work out with Walter and meet him somewhere or something. And, and I was like, well, no, okay, I'm just here to work out. And so after that... Walter liked to. I mean, we would work out two or three times a day. Okay, so wow. I just became part of their family when they built the beautiful house in South Barrington. I mean, they had a number of guest rooms downstairs, and you know, I had one. And Walter, you know, he's like, "Hey, just put your stuff, and you know, I get, you know, I'll put some gear down there for you and stuff." And so, because. I lived in Barrington. I lived in North Barrington. I mean, it was a good 20-minute drive, though. You know, South Barrington, North Barrington, and so I mean, I wouldn't. There are a lot of times. I mean, I just wouldn't go home. I mean, I just sleep there. And uh, and I was. I mean, they're Payton's are family to me. Okay, so I mean, they 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 brought me into their family. I mean, this was. Uh, I mean, Jared had to be a year or two old when I first met Walter, right, Jared? I mean, yeah. you know, I was there when Brittany came home. You know, from the hospital. So. I mean it's amazing, and I started coaching Jared Payton in high school when Jared Payton was a junior in high school, and that's exactly when I met his father in my, that time of my life. And wow. if that was the work of God. Listen, I owe my career in football to Walter. He was the one who encouraged me to get into coaching, to stay in football. I mean he knew that I wasn't you know good enough talented enough to play in the league and he just you know he just felt like... You know, I needed to stay in it, and and he was right, and I'm glad I did. And and uh, you know, I I um, I, I like Jared. I I miss him daily. It's Still hard to believe he's gone.
2: That that was kind of going to be my my last question for you. Is just in the position you're in, you you're part of their family. You're with him day in day out when he's working out. You're watching his son blossom into a similar type player, and then you, how how did you find out what he was going through and. I mean, how tough is that, and did you get to talk to, to Walter about any of that?
0: Yeah, it was it was brutal for all of us. You know, Walter's weight never fluctuated a pound or two, and all of a sudden he lost 20 pounds. And he, he called me once at school, and he, he, he said, hey, you want to go play golf? And this was after his surgery and everything. And I'm thinking, this guy can't play golf. They basically cut him in half. Uh, but... You know, I met him and we went and, and he was, Walter used to be able to hit this one iron like 300 yards or something and he teed it up and he couldn't turn because he, you know, literally they just cut him in half and, and he was frustrated that he couldn't hit it and he's like, why can't I do this? I'm like, you know, I don't know. Cut your body in half. That's probably part of the reason, you know. And, and so we had these, his brother Eddie was, you know, the golf coach at Jackson State and a great guy, great golfer. He had these super long tees. So anyway, we, we teed it up really, really high, and he hit it and played a few holes and said he was tired. And I mean, you know, and you'd go. But, but to, when Jarrett was asking me about how tough Walter was, here's a, here's a great example, okay? I mean, even in his uh, darkest hour, you know, he, he just didn't, he didn't want a morphine drip. I mean, the man had a patch on his shoulder for pain, for pain. And uh, I remember sitting over there. Walter loved to watch movies. Um, Right, Jared? I mean, he would sit, he would get those movies, man, that were in in the movie theaters, and he'd have them at the house, and, man, he could watch now. And so we were just sitting there watching these movies. All of a sudden, he falls off the couch, and he's just got his arms wrapped around his midsection, and he's just groaning. And, you know, I just knew, I knew his level of mental toughness and physical toughness and uh, i mean it was it it was just really hard to watch yeah superman we lost him
1: yeah man it's it's crazy it's it's crazy to think about 20 years and you know we go back and, and especially for me just this conversation has kind of brought me back to you know those times especially around that time and And um, it was a big time for me, you know, at that time. I mean, a reason why a lot of this, you know, kind of got kicked off and people that didn't see him for a while was the fact of at St. Vida when I had my press conference for, you know, choosing the University of Miami. And that's when he was back into the public. And I still remember, Kev, that, like, he didn't want to be there. He, He wanted to be there with me, but he also didn't want that to kind of he wanted to kind of sit in the back and I remember having the conversation with him telling no I need you there like I need you yet there this is one of the biggest moments of my life and still to this day the the video of, of you sitting next to me him there and and I remember that moment but through the times I mean it came back full circle where you coached me and you got a chance to see me in those two years and to grow as a person to grow as an athlete and we went through our ups and downs, and, and you taught me a lot. So for everything that my dad taught you, it came back full circle of you being able to teach me. And I want to tell you that I appreciate you. I love you, and um, it, it just was the coolest thing. I don't think, for me, not only just playing football just to, to play was awesome, but a big reason why I played is because I knew you were going to be my head coach. So that was that safety net for me, and um, you know everybody knows what I could have done in soccer, but just getting a chance to be able to play with you, to learn from you um, was was an honor and so I think about it every day. I watch videos of uh, that Holy Cross game where I took that ball uh, <laughs> on that broken play, like 70 yards for a touchdown. I, I, I remember you and I battling um, in the state playoff game against Marmee and you mad at me because I didn't want to play DB. And if I could go back to that day, I would have played a little bit more DB for you, man. Oh, man I, I think about those times every single day. So I just want to tell you thank you for being you and uh, thank you for taking some time to be able to uh, jump on this podcast with us.
0: I mean, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, you know, I, 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 I certainly hope that i was able to pass along just a fraction of what your father taught me you know that i told you when we lost him, you let that flame burn inside you uh... the rest of your life of your dad because it's going to burn inside me i know it does today uh... and that's his legacy you know his passion his, his obsession his work ethic um... his his joy in life i mean his you know his connection to people you know whether they were you know, like him or not, you know. He was obviously an amazing football player, but he was really, truly an amazing man, amazing family man, amazing person, friend um, that we all got to know because he was this great running back for the Chicago Bears.
2: All right, so my favorite part about that whole thing was (laughs) – How crafty they got with going in. Do you remember the house where they'd go in the backyard and go through the woods?
1: No, I don't remember (laughs) that one. But it does because I see pictures, and we only had like a handful of pictures of the hill. But I don't remember. I went to the hill a couple of times growing up. I mean, there was just no time for me. My mom wasn't going to sit out there with a lawn chair. It smelled. It was stinky. She didn't want to be out there at all. So I only went a couple of times, and it was hard because... Unless there was someone there to watch me, I mean, my dad was putting in work. So now I remember it, but I don't remember the house. But I remember driving to get there and where you had to park your car, and it's pretty insane. It
2: it, it, it's insane to me that your dad would look at a set of trees in the backyard and think this is perfect.
1: No, I running through, (laughs) run through this, running through the forest preserve like just full speed and. He's talked about just hitting trees and falling down yeah. and just getting right back. I out.
2: couldn't imagine, like, if, if I'm in his shoes, and I don't, I, I think this was somewhat into the relationship after he had, like, in, ingratiated himself into your family and you guys were all cool, but, like, if, if your dad went down after going into a tree full speed, I'd be a little concerned, like, Oh my! What do I do? Do I call in it? People are going to think that I killed this guy. I no, I,
1: I probably <laughs> so. And no cell phones back in the day. At that time, I think about the the biggest takeaway for me was the uh, hay barrels of jumping over those and preparing himself for those for that those jumps that we all saw him do and like how he would land and barrel roll, like who people don't just do that nowadays you just do it he like literally he prepared himself for all that stuff that he did i want to know what the farmer was like yeah just come on back right (laughs) i got about 300 yards out there just go at it peyton go on at it come on man who does that no
2: that not a lot of people uh do you remember when he moved not moved in but like when he got a room in your house
1: yeah, you know, he Kevin always stayed around, man. I mean, it was he was kind of, you know, my dad wanted to make sure that any any time that he could work out and Kevin was just always very helpful uh to our family, like taking me places, being around, hanging out. Um I think that was so cool because I looked up to him as a kid. But yes, remember those times and remember all of the the time that they spent on the hill. I spent a lot of time on the hill,
2: and just to recall, you never did. You ever get to no? I never just the just hill. with Jordan. Yeah, j- when it's now a golf course. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the the part the part about the hill that throws me off too is what he subjected. Like people go through. You know, you see Antonio Brown when he had the what is his calf detached, walking up a, a driveway. Like I'm not saying that he's the first one ever to to put his body through incredible pain and stress but i mean there's broken glass you're you're literally running up a, a trash heap yeah <laughs> there's stuff that you could land on there that I, I you know, get cut, you get
1: or fall back and really hurt yourself i yeah. mean you could you had to get and you're in the, the middle of up. nowhere yeah. i mean
2: you're to get to that place like he said i, I would have thought like he was Just, driving yeah. me to to go bury me
1: there's no ambulances getting in there No, so someone's gonna pick somebody up and That's taking right. them out all, all the way back to the street yeah all right, so that is Kevin Kelly. Uh, I I
2: hope that you enjoyed the story as much as I did because it, it blew my mind when I first read that in Sports Illustrated and then when I came to you about it, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all real. That checks out. And um, There's going to be a couple more. Uh, I think we're going to try to get a couple special friends on the phone here in the near future. Um, there's still those extended interviews to come. I really like the one with Gary Fensick. I think that he um, is just a, a really – interesting guy and an open book like he, he didn't seem to to hold back at all um so please keep listening if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast uh, Savoring Sweetness the Walter Payton podcast please write into us uh Jarrett sent out if you look through Twitter uh, a, a, a post asking for people to send in pictures and their stories please keep doing that and we will keep reading them and uh until next time